If you've not read the final chapters of Genesis ever in your life, or you never attended Andrew Lloyd Webber's Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat musical, or you didn't listen closely to Barbara's introduction, you might not know the Joseph story real well, and you wouldn't be able to appreciate the way it ends in the text that we have before us. So let me review some of our history and uh, allow you to see it in context. It was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob representing those first three generations. Jacob having 12 sons by two wives and two concubines. So we've got a complicated family. And the 11th son being Joseph, all representing this fourth generation of, of the Hebrew nation, of the Jewish people. Joseph was born of Jacob's favorite wife and became his favorite son. And dad chose a lovely robe. I wish mine were a bit more colorful and dazzling, um, but he chose a lovely robe for Joseph to kind of make it evident to everybody around who his favorite son was. This favorite son also had a couple of fascinating dreams early on where he saw not only his brothers, older mostly than he, but also mom and dad bowing down to him. And he shared this with them quite openly. And you can imagine the, the feelings going on in this family system and the brothers despising this favored son who has these obnoxious dreams. So they were pleased when a group of slave traders were coming along on their way to Egypt and sold Joseph to them. And then went home to father to tell him with the blood-stained robe that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Meanwhile, down in Egypt, Joseph was enslaved to Potiphar, Pharaoh's official, and then accused of a wrong he didn't commit and imprisoned for it. And yet the fascinating thing we read in the story is that God, God was with Joseph and continued to bless him even in those hard and rough times. Pharaoh had a couple of nightmares. Nobody could explain them except Joseph with the help of God. And Joseph came up and said, those nightmares are about a famine to come. And we better get ready. And so from prison to the second most powerful position in all of Egypt, Joseph climbed quickly and took charge of helping the nation get ready for the bad times ahead in the famine. That same famine would drive the sons, the other sons of Jacob, down to Egypt to their storehouses of grain for food. Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize him. He plays with them a bit. You need to read the story for the detail before revealing himself, finally. And the brothers, you can imagine, are now not only shocked, they are afraid. They are fearful because they have no idea what this very powerful now brother is going to do to them for what they did 
to him. So through the story, we find their fear just swelling. And yet Joseph, in his kindness, tries to reassure them. No, God had his hand in this. So I have a few questions to bring you into the story as we begin today. Have you been wronged in such a way that it still eats away at you? Have you done wrong in such a way in a relationship that it eats away at you? Is it possible that either side of that equation, being wronged or doing wrong, it was in your family of origin that it occurred, those deepest wounds from our family experience? And lastly, what in the world can we do with that kind of pain? What do we do with all the emotions that track us all through life? How do we deal with that kind of hurt? Well, I think this text gives us some help. And as we live the story of Joseph and his brothers, we see that they are still bothered as often as Joseph has tried to reassure them. They are still bothered by what they did. And now that father is dead, maybe now the door's open for Joseph to really pay us back. He's got to still have a grudge against us and he's going to retaliate, we're sure, was their attitude. And so they came to Joseph with words from now deceased father. Joseph, you, I beg you, please forgive these brothers, for all the wrong they've done to you. And the brothers say, yes, won't you please forgive us for what we've done? You know, the text hints, although it's not real clear, the text hints that they made this up. I mean, that's in their character, folks. It's not out of their character. And why wouldn't Jacob just tell Joseph directly? They had a good relationship. They were together in Egypt as a family. There's no reason why this had to be told after his death by his brothers. But Joseph weeps. You see that? He's weeping throughout this whole section. Very tender heart. We don't know why he's weeping. We could guess maybe it's because it dredges up all this old pain of what his brothers did to him. It might be because he can't believe that they haven't received his already expressed forgiveness and understanding of God, God's providence superintending the whole thing. Maybe it's just in the grief of losing father that all this is going on. And a mixture of all that plus tenderness toward his brother's confession, finally. Whatever it is, uh, Joseph weeps. And the good thing that the brothers do in this text is they join him in his weeping. They fall down before him, but they also very clearly are identifying in the story for the first time that they did wrong, that they did sin, that they did crime. All those words are, are in this text. And they recognize it, and that's a good thing. That's a very positive thing that they do. But Joseph's response to it all 
is even more instructive for us. Because when he replies in verse 19, he starts out by saying, do not be afraid. I love the the choir's rendition of that. Do not be afraid. Uh, We can't tell people how to feel. I don't think that's what Joseph's doing. I think he's saying the opposite of what could be said. You ought to be afraid. I mean, he could have said that, but he's saying, no, don't, don't be afraid. He's just, he's reassuring them. He says, am I in the place of God? Wow, think about that. Are you in the place? Am I, not just Joseph, am I in the place of God that I can judge another person's behavior? Even though you intended to do harm to me, and and you did, it hurt. It rearranged my whole life. Even though that was your intention, God was up to something else. God intended it for good in order to save our whole family. God was doing something good in the midst of what was so bad. I think what we're seeing here is that a dynamic that we need not just in our family healings, but in all relationships, and that is that the only way forward is through good confession and good forgiveness. The only way we can impact the the past is to do the confessing and the forgiving of one another well. We can't go back and relive what's been done and, and repair it. All we can do is confess it when we've wronged someone and forgive it when we've been wronged. The brothers get it. We need to confess. Joseph gets it. I need to forgive. Rather than living in fear, confess. Rather than carrying a grudge, forgive. Those are the options we have. And Joseph and his brothers are modeling the healthy way to proceed. They realize that there's value in in going back, not to get stuck back there, but to heal that relationship. We can't change the history, can't rewrite it, but we can heal the relationship so we can move forward. Going back sometimes is the best way forward. But I'd like to tell you another story that I see through the Joseph story. Many centuries later, there was another favored son son that came and lived among the family of human beings and presented himself as a king to whom we should all bow down and pay homage and submit. And how did we treat him? We didn't sell him into slavery. No, no. We put him on a cross and killed him. It was because of our wrongdoing, our sin, our crime, um, that he died. And yet, amazingly, he reappeared and he revealed himself to us. And we had every reason to think, oh no, we're in trouble. We put him to death. And he could hold a grudge against us and retaliate and we're done eternally, but that's not what Christ did. Christ 
invites us into a healthy relationship with him through faith in him, through the forgiveness of sins, with the the hope and the promise of eternal life. Jesus fulfills the story of Joseph in a way uh, Joseph could have never imagined. Jesus is so much the Joseph of all eternity. And so I think of the fact that God often does bring good out of what is so bad. We don't minimize the bad, but let's not minimize the good that God can bring out of it. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things, even suffering in the context of Romans 8, even in sin in the context of the Joseph story, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So while all this bad stuff is going on, and we have to own up to it, God is is working something else, often bringing some good out of what is so bad. It's part of his mysterious way. God does that. Joseph believed it and reassured his brothers. Jesus believes it still and reassures us this morning. The question is, do we believe that? That in all our pain, either pain we dish out or pain that's dished out toward us, that in all our pain, God could be possibly working some good out of this? You see, friends, that's one of the mysteries of the cross, is that the cross, with all its ugliness, with all the injustice, with all the sin and darkness and devilish activity that's going on around the cross of Jesus Christ, and we've contributed to that, in the midst of all that, we still call it Good Friday. Why in the world would we call it good? Because God was doing this mysterious work of bringing salvation right in the midst of what looked like damnation. It looked like it was all over. And yet God was doing this mysterious work that he's done all through human history, bringing good out of what is so bad. So friends, I I ask you this morning as we come to the table to be willing to go back and look at some of these hurts we still find eating away at in our lives, hurts we've dished out, hurts we've received. But don't stop there. Go all the way back to the cross where all those sins, crimes, hurts, wrongs were dealt with once for all through Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate at this table. That's what we remember. We go back in order to move forward. We go back and remember Christ's forgiveness so that we can move into a a guilt-free future. We go back and recognize that it's, it's not up to us to judge and to hold a grudge. That's, that's God's business. Our business is to forgive and move on into a healthier, wholesome relationship with the people closest to us. Joseph and his brothers had to wrestle with that. And I know a lot of us do too. So let's 
Let's learn from this pattern. Let's come to the table this morning, maybe with sins to confess, maybe with sins to forgive. And let's enter a new life through the Christ who wants to be Savior and Lord, Deliverer for each one of us. Let's pray. God, would you come and meet us here. Gracious God, the one who calls us back at times to be able to move forward more effectively and healthy. Would you come and heal us even as we gather around this table in the powerful, precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.